The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. who will solve you simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize you are listening to ACH I'm Andy your host and today I'm delighted as I'm sure you will be to welcome back our regular weekly guest it's been four weeks he's been very busy we're going to talk about that later he's of course Dr Peter Hammond let's bring him up right now Peter are you with us I am with you yes thank you Andrew Thank you, Peter. And uh, what Peter has for us today is a presentation entitled The Real Story of the UNCOP27 or COP27 Global Religion. So, Peter, where would you like to start us off with this topic? Well, Andrew, it's so bizarre. You know, if the Monty Python crew had come up with this script, uh, it it would make a great (laughs) comedy. But unfortunately, this this is true. And... uh, We've just had an extraordinary scenario going on in Sinai in Egypt where faith leaders of the world united to bring about a new United Nations-approved interfaith globalist religion. And it it may start ringing some bells of people who've read Revelation 13 and so on, because under the guise of saving Mother Earth from humanity's climate sins, uh, which they think uh, the Bible... Um, is a bit of a problem. Uh, so they've, they've worked out how to improve on this. So they've come up with a new green gospel and uh, they've got all kinds of ideas to promote a new Ten Commands. In fact, they actually had a ceremony of religious leaders walking up at least parts of the side of Mount Sinai or what they think is Mount Sinai in, in uh, the Sinai Peninsula there. And they um, then smashed these green tablets, uh, <laughs> basically apparently saying that what the a world is doing so far to fight climate change is not good enough. And I think they kind of forgot the whole context of why Moses was smashing those, you know, because of idolatry and rebellion to God. But but uh, you'll find this absolutely bizarre. Top religious leaders are promoting it. Are we talking about Pope Francis, of course, the, uh, the liberation theologian Marxist Pope? Uh, when I was growing up, we used to have a joke, is the Pope Catholic? It would be a, um, a rhetorical question if a person asked you, question that had an obvious answer, you'd often say, is the Pope Catholic? Uh, and, uh, you know, the answer used to be, well, of course he is. Although, since Pope Francis has been around there, uh, that doesn't apply anymore because this Pope is not actually Roman Catholic. He's he's a Marxist. Uh, but <clears throat> it's not just him. It's uh, also Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury. It's not just him. Uh, we've got rabbis and so on, but 
there's Rick Warren uh, of Saddleback Church. Um, he's pushing a whole new peace plan, uh, promoting this whole thing. Peace, he abbreviates to promoting reconciliation, equipping servant leaders, assisting the poor, caring for the sick, educating the next generation. So that's P-E-A-C-E. Promote, equip, assist, care, educate. And uh, he speaks about the need to have the three stools to the three legs of the stool to affect major change. And one leg, of course, is the public sector, which is a government. The other sector is the private sector businesses. And the third leg is the faith communities, the religious sector, which, of course, is what this one is focused on. What we've seen is the United Nations has, since Gorbachev started this uh, new Sermon Amount, new Ten Commands, Green New Deal, Earth Charter, new Ten Commands back in 1992 at the Rio conference since Mikhail Gorbachev, one time Soviet dictator, when he launched the new Order of the Watermelon, you know, green on the outside, red on the inside. Uh, the UN has been working to promote a new religion. Now, this has been 30 years in the mix, and now we're seeing it really developing fully. It's it's a eco a death cult deliberately hatched decades ago as the basis for a real diabolical political agenda. It has nothing to do with science. It's got nothing to do with the environment. It's, it, it claims to be concerned for the environment and the climate and to be based on science, but it's not. It is a death cult aimed at bringing all areas of life under control of the Soviets, under, under the control of these globalists. So uh, let me unpack this. So they've just had, based in Sinai in Egypt, Faith leaders of the world uniting, uh, self-styled representatives of all the major religions, Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, so-called Christian, and, they, and a whole bunch of others. And it, it was very much mixed with paganism and New Age spirituality, very religious. So it was called the UN Conference of Parties 27, or COP27, or COP27. So the Conference for the Parties 27 this is the 27th so-called um, Earth Summit or uh, Eco uh, Climate Change Summit organized by the UN so far. So right from the beginning, uh, people at the airport were already being welcomed with giant posters reading, Welcome to Egypt, the Dawn of Conscience, with the Egyptian sun god symbols right smack in the middle of the COP 72 or COP 27 logo. And that was greeting travelers as they arrived. And then they had a bizarre message, the Declaration of Innocence, before being judged before the scale of Mayat and entering the afterlife. Bit of a convoluted piece of garbage, but claiming to be some writing from some pagan Egyptian document, supposedly 4,000 years old, uh, which basically is uh, don't pollute the plants and don't be involved in global warming. Um, probably anachronism, but there we go. Um, then this United Nations Intergovernmental Planet on Climate Change, or um, IPCC, the boss of that, Rajendra Pachura, famously declared, for me, the protection of plant earth, the survival of all species, the sustainability of ecosystems is more than my mission. It is my religion. It is my dharma. And, uh, you know, this, this is, of course, the terminology of, of real religion and so on. So the UN Climate Tsarina, Christina Figueres, who opened the 2010 COP summit, with a prayer to a Mayan goddess of cannibalism, human sacrifice, and war, that was Echel, in whose name and before whose idol uh, tens of thousands of people were uh, had their heart, beating hearts ripped out and heads chopped off and so on, and heads rolled down the stairs of the Mayan temples. 
And so to that uh, god or goddess of cannibalism, human sacrifice and war, Ikel, um, the UN Climate Zarina Christina Figueres prayed at the 2010, uh, claiming the goddess was associated with creativity. Well, in 2012, the famous Christ the Redeemer statue overlooking Rio de Janeiro was lit up by green lights for the UN Conference on Sustainable Development. And um, it was a kind of childish message that the environmental religion is replacing Christianity. That's what they've been trying to do. Well, the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres threatened climate hell on anybody who refuses to repent and submit to their drastic new controls over their behavior in the economy. And so um, uh, Antonio Guterres uh, said, climate hell is coming, a dystopian future of hurricanes, floods, and droughts, which is the judgment of Mother Earth upon wicked people who refuse to repent of their um, having CO2-emitting uh, vehicles and things like that. Not that I've noticed any of the people coming to these conferences walking there or using camels or uh, donkeys. They all seem to be using uh, private jets and major aircraft and vehicles, but nevertheless. So they're threatening climate hell on people who don't repent. And then they also are, uh, Pope Francis said, I hope that steps forward are taken with courage and determination in the footsteps of the Paris Accord. So forget about following in the footsteps of Jesus. You now must follow in the footsteps of the Paris Accords. That's what Pope Francis said in his remarks about this COP27. And he said, uh, when he said follow in the footsteps of the Paris Accords, he was referring to the 2015 UN agreement that would see West nations slash CO2 emissions and sabotage the economies, go back to the Stone Age, basically, even while communist China's CO2 emissions and economic growth keep surging. So the Roman Catholic leader, this Marxist, Pope Francis, um, said that uh, we need eco-conversion. We need ecological conversion and lifestyles consistent with it. So forget about being converted to Christ. You need to be converted to the UN climate control agenda. And the Pope says, this is a journey aimed at responding to the cry of the earth. So you don't need to respond to the word of God. Now it's the cry of the earth, Mother Earth, you know. I encourage this crucial meeting, said Pope Francis, for the future of humanity, that it may foster in everyone a concrete commitment to care for creation. So you need, in the name of caring for creation, which this doesn't involve actually, uh, they are calling for people to repent of their present lifestyles, which depends upon things like electricity and petroleum products and coal and so on. And uh, you've now got to embrace um, basically a massive lowering of your living standards and a massive lowering of your economy in order to improve the climate, they think, maybe in 100 years, perhaps by one or two degrees. So he called it um, a, a journey where we're following in the footsteps of Paris, but where we need a concrete commitment, and it's a crucial mission, and it affects our future. Well, Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, um, who's meant to be the head of the Church of England, he uh, a widely abused scripture by calling on uh, all religious leaders uh, to recognize the climate emergency. It's an existential global threat, requires a global response with radical action, and uh, he then started abusing scriptures, speaking about justice and mercy and so on. Uh, not that that's got anything to do with the agenda, but um, that's what he tried to use it for. Well, 
Next thing is a new Ten Commandments. So this 27th annual UN Climate Change Summit, uh, you had more religion visible than any other. Um, there's a new system of morality and ethics being promoted, they say, and they're underpinning this with growing global alliance of religious leaders movements, which is now completely coming out the closet. So people have been saying on the base of Revelation 13 that there's a global movement for one world government, one world economic system, and a one world interfaith religion. They were shouted down as conspiracy theorists and so on. Well, um, they've just proven everything that Revelation 13 is warning about to be true. And they talk about the need to leverage the faith communities, to utilize the harness the religious communities, to co-opt the churches. This isn't the kind of terminology that any Christian uses. This is pretty bizarre. So some self-proclaimed religious leaders, pagans, Muslims, Christians, Jews, walked up what they claimed as Mount Sinai, which is highly unlikely considering the Bible says Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia. Galatians is very clear about that. And uh, I think it's been proven well by archaeologists recently that Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia, as the Bible says it is. Uh, but anyway, they, they're going up the Mount Sinai that the tourists go to, by, uh, the monastery of St. Catherine, uh, where some monk had a vision and said this was the Mount Sinai. Not that there's any archaeological evidence for that. Nevertheless, they kicked off this whole climate repentance spectacle with these people claiming to represent this new religion, carrying up a green a green tablets described as new Ten Commandments, and then smashing them, smashing the tablets as if they were Moses, to uh, symbolize that they're not satisfied, the governments of the world are not doing enough uh, to uh, bring about this new world religion uh, where we basically worship Mother Earth and uh, we've got to allow unelected officials from the World Health Organization, the UN and so on, uh, to determine what our economies and our lives are like. So they said, the political leadership of the world has not come through on climate until now. Now we are calling upon the faith leaders to add to the sense of urgency to weigh in forcefully, globally, to push for the reduction by 50% of global warming emissions by 2030. This is the 2030 agenda. Um, well, it's absolutely bizarre because Moses smashed the stone tablets in anger at the Israelites because of their apostasy. They turned away from the faith in Yahweh, God, the creator, who had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And so they were worshipping an idol. And this was syncretism, which is exactly what these climate crazies are doing at the moment. And uh, these climate alarms, and they were involved in idolatry. And so <laughs> to evoke the idea of Moses and smashing the, stat the, the tablets of stone um, in the name of promoting this new idolatrous, pagan, pantheistic, uh, religion is bizarre. And here they were worshipping the Egyptian sun god and uh, all sorts of things like this. So they launched now the Sinai Climate Partnership, which is nothing but syncretism, wedding Judaism and other uh, religions with this pagan uh, eco-cult. The principles that they've put in these new temples are so vague that Anyone without any serious religious convictions could embrace it, regardless of where they stood, even on, on the climate change debates. It's, it's vague and uh, it's actually a little meaningless. There's also a lot of conflicts of interest because who's financing all of this? Some of the worst climate polluters on the planet, but we'll get there in a moment. So here you've got the Sinai Climate Partnership. 
and they are duping religious leaders into putting their stamp of approval onto an event, the real purpose of which is anything but Christian. It's not particularly Muslim, Buddhist, or Hindu either. Uh, in fact, it's not true to any of the true religions of the world. Its real purpose is to further socialism, to further communist goals, and using climate alarmism to um, further the financial aims of the prime movers, um, which are major banks uh, for more control. <laughs> what you're seeing is big banks, big government, big business, big pharma working together to now harness the religious third stool uh, the, of, of their uh, climate change to bring about revolution by harnessing the religious communities, by utilizing religious groups, by leveraging the faith communities, by co-opting the church. I mean, these are not the terms of people motivated by love for God or adherence to the Bible, obviously. So it, it's also got nothing to do with stewardship of creation, uh, and it's certainly not going to improve the environment at all. So this new Ten Commands, they said, is being offered as an addendum to bring about heaven on earth with a third covenant. And it's so completely pantheistic. So what the UN's just hosted there in Sinai, um, they, they claim things like creation is not our possession. We must recognize human responsibility to love and protect nature. Creation is not simply external to God. Creation is in significant ways is permeated by God's presence and being. So that's basically pantheism, that God inhabits the rocks and the seas and rivers and everything. So we're responsible for the well-being of all life today. We need a disciplined spiritual life to overcome the challenges of climate change. We need to change our inner climate. We need compassion to feel the pain of the earth. And this is pretty pantheistic and animistic as well. And so religious leaders have simultaneously taken part in London, New York, uh, Jerusalem, Calcutta, uh, to take part in festivities cooperating with or sympathizing with in harmony with COP27. But while some major religious figures from all sorts of traditions are celebrating these controversial events, many have been appalled at what they've recognized as blasphemy and, and sacrilege. And uh, in fact, it really is. So um, they are projecting the image, uh, the, uh, basically, that Christianity is evil and the UN is the savior and the UN agencies. So what they've been doing is through ceremonies and new commandments, they are presenting blasphemies um, which fake faith leaders are, le are taking up and leading. So it's been described as earth worship, climate hysteria. It's a key component of the coming one world religion. Uh, and we saw it on full display in Egypt during this UN um, agenda's COP27 climate conference. The architects of these religious events uh, include people like James Sternicht, who's CEO of the P Peace Department. And he says, we are needing to replace uh, the Ten Commands. We're needing to give an addendum to the Ten Commands because it's not up to date. And one conduit for reaching millions and billions of people around the world is religion. Uh, that's what this James Sternicht, the CEO of Peace Department, says. We need to work on activating houses of worship in communities around the world to engage in climate action. So this is crafting the churches so that we can build the real kingdom of heaven here on earth, they've said. So they are going to build a new kingdom of heaven on earth. Now, one of the ringleaders, uh, who's the leader of uh, 
the Interfaith Center for Sustainable Development is Rabbi Jonathan Nerol. Well, Rabbi Jonathan Nerol um, has also produced the Eco Bible, which has been distributed worldwide, obviously well sponsored and funded that he can give them away free. And the Eco Bible uh, misquotes Genesis, claiming that God has put uh, humans in the Garden of Eden to serve it. Well, you don't get the concept of serving uh, creation um, as uh, that's not in any major translation of scriptures. Well, echoing the great reset style rhetoric heard at major international gatherings, Rabbi Nero has claimed that humanity needs a drastic reset or revolution of the systems of life and civilization. We need to change the operating system that humanity generates and is a degrading creation. Uh, by doing what we will address the symptoms of the problem and manifest a new earth. So he's working for a new earth. To make this new earth a reality, religious leaders and people must be brought on board. We need to leverage the so-called faith communities to move the needle on climate advocacy. It's a deeply need worthwhile effort. And so this controversial rabbi, uh, Nerol, has said that while the national political culture is so divided, faith is the common ground that can soften the boundaries and open hearts and minds. And so the faith communities provide a solution to our ecological crisis. Religion and religious clergy leaders need to be the delivery vehicle for climate action, says this Rabbi Nero. So the delivery vehicle, have you ever in any church heard people talk about leveraging the faith communities and harnessing and co-opting and, and uh, for churches and pastors to be the delivery vehicle for the United Nations agenda? This is not biblical. This is anti-biblical. And so uh, what they're talking about, leveraging the religions of the world into the service of the UN agenda. And so the UN has launched a group called Faith for Earth. It's a Faith for Earth initiative. And the tagline is Religion Uniting for the Planet. And so Religion Uniting for the Planet, they've been trying to recruit religious leaders for a long time. And now they say 85% of the world population believe in a faith or a religion. And the power of that is humongous. That's quoting from the UN Faith for Earth initiative director, Ivad and he said we can harness that in the mobilizing of faith leaders and faith followers in protecting the earth. Well, one of the strategic objectives of this Faith for Earth initiative is to strategically engage with faith-based organizations. They call them FBOs, faith-based organizations, FBOs. You've heard of NGOs, non-governmental organizations. Well, now they're talking about FBOs, faith-based organizations. And the goal is to mobilize the faith leaders and the faith community in an effective partnership to collectively achieve the Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs, of the UN and to fulfill the objectives of the UN's 2030 agenda. So this isn't submitting to God. This isn't listening to the gospel. This isn't reading the Bible. Uh, this isn't obeying God. This is the opposite. This is trying to hijack the church and redirect them for the United Nations benefit. And so uh, two years ago, the UN released a book called Faith for Earth, A Call for Action. And they claimed that their mission was to encourage, empower, and engage with faith-based organizations as partners on all levels towards achieving the Sustainable Development Goals and fulfilling the 2030 Agenda. So uh, the agency partners with the Parliament of the World Religions, and I remember the Parliament of World Religions because in December 1999, they came to Cape Town, South Africa, and had... Oh, a lot of people, I think about a thousand representatives from around the world, over a hundred countries represented. 
And they had everything from the living God, Dalai Lama. They had Muslim mosques and Hindus and imams and all sorts of things and some fake Christians running around in fancy dress too. And uh, uh, they were promoting anything but Christianity. It looked more like the Tower of Babel, uh, really apostate. But anyway, um, the Parliament of All Religions is still around and other UN groups are working to unify the world's religious movement. So uh, that's intriguing. That's interesting. Um, and what we have then said, uh, seen as they've been going forward, is they've got the Parliament of All Religions and other UN groups working to unify the world's religious movements under the UN banner. For example, the United Nations Environment Program, the UNEP, has brought together the World Council of Churches, the Muslim Council of Elders, and the New York Board of Rabbis to sign the Climate Responsible Finance Moral Imperative and Responsibility to All Children and the Living World. What a mouthful. And they're calling on all banks to line up behind the UN agenda. Well, I think they already have. In fact, I think uh, they're the ones pulling the strings. It's not a matter of harnessing the banks to help the UN. It's more like the bankers are mobilizing the UN to achieve their agenda. Well, UN boss Guterres, who is a former leader of the Socialist International, he celebrated this important faith-based initiative, noting that people, communities, and organizations of faith have the influence needed to affect this transition. Hmm, influence. Transition. I think they're talking about revolution or useful idiots. So the UN Interagency Task Force on Religion and Sustainable Development, that's UNITAFR, aims to connect all the tentacles of the UN with faith-based inspired civil society actors. And so the goal is engaging faith-based organizations and networks in pursuing the UN agenda to promote faith in the UN conferences and become successful in having the UN agenda advanced by religious leaders and religious organizations and from pulpits. So another key organizer of the new Ten Commands activities is the self-proclaimed Elijah Board of World Religious Leaders. Elijah Board of World Religious Leaders. And they claim that they bring together some of the world's most prominent religious figures from Judaism, Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, and Hinduism. Uh, the group has ties to UN, but the Elijah Interfaith Institute is an official partner of the UN. And the UN's UNESCO, or Education, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, UNESCO. So we've got the larger Interfaith Institute and UNESCO working together. And taxpayers are helping to pay for all this. And beyond the UN, the organization's sponsors include the far-left globalist Carnegie Fund, the New Age Spiritual Deality, or Fetzer Institute, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, uh, the Bothman Brother Fund, and other tax-exempt mega-foundations, and, of course, George Soros and so on. So they are all providing grants for what they call religious genius. Uh, the Elijah Interfaith Institute received the religious genius grant from the John Templeton Foundation with the goal of uh, changing the discourse, changing the views, and changing attitudes of different religious communities. So this is a deliberate attempt to infiltrate and to subvert religions and redirect them, uh, really hijack them, to co-opt them, to harness them, to leverage them, to use their words. And so... Um, this man, who's running it, was um, and is a member of the Council for Relations. And so dubbed realizing ambition through ethical, intergenerational, and multi-sectoral response to climate change. Ah, that's the mouthful of COP27 uh, to emphasize the importance of using religion to aid in global transformation. 
or the Great Reset or Revolution. And so <clears throat> there were 40 other faith-based meetings during COP27. And uh, what's important now is that these, and they speak about this, quoting them, they say, we need religious actors, that's the word, actors, <laughs> religious actors, to come together to invest in each other's ability to do effective programs and initiatives. And so the Secretary General of Religions for Peace, Azar Karaman, who previously worked at the Population Control Agency, uh, UNFPA, uh, uh, the United Nations Fund for Population Association, well, uh, they have said it's absolutely vital that all religious actors work together uh, to uh, help advance the UN's agenda. And then he also said that without centralizing our actions around human values and harmonizing science and religions, our actions will be unsustainable. So they're saying we need to centralize our actions and we need to harmonize between science and religions. Well, there's a whole bunch of religious leaders echoing all of this. There's Muhammad Abu Salim, the senior representative of his eminence, Grand Imam of Al-Azhar, Secretary General of the Muslim Council of Elders, and co-president religions for peace. And uh, they've said that all heavenly religions, including Islam, um, believe in protecting Mother Earth, a common earth, and to maintaining its harmony and balance. Well, I don't think that's historically true, but that's what they're saying. And they're calling for a new system of morality, a new system of ethics to replace the old ones. So they're wanting to use religion for revolution. And that's intriguing. Um, and the goal is to care for Mother Earth, Mother Earth. And they're wanting a new moral order. And evolutionary processes and ethical reasons may have interacted in reaching our current situation, but today we need to launch out, uh, get rid of, um, abandon these older methods, which includes the Bible and so on, and to go forward. Ethics evolved from a past evolutionary stage of human history, and due to modern extingencies, it should be abandoned as obsolete. So our present ethics are obsolete, need to go. Um, in the vacuum created by the deletion of ethics, a new moral code can now be uploaded. So they're trying to get rid of Christianity and replace it with this new interfaith religion. And the goal here, they said, is to lead people to act according to the new moral codes, which can enhance cooperation. I'm sure it can. And so they plan for restructuring the world under the guise of saving souls, well, from climate change, otherwise known as Agenda 2030. This was um, actually addressed in 2015 at the UN General Assembly. And the UN General Assembly boss, Peter Thompson, described it as the time for the master plan for humanity. That's the term, master plan for humanity. Well, the World Economic Forum has signed a strategic partnership with the United Nations to bring about global business communities in line imposing the UN agenda upon humanity. And so mega banks, big business, big pharma, big tech, um, uh, big business, all working together uh, in order to crush the middleman and to bring about uh, government control through UN uh, departments, basically. And businesses and governments are firmly on the bandwagon, they say. And now they need this three-legged stool for bringing about major changes or revolution. The first leg is the what they call government or the public sector. The second leg is business or the private sector. And the third leg is social or religious institutions and non-governmental organizations, NGOs. 
So we've had Pope Francis advocating Agenda 23, speaking at the UN General Assembly about the importance of the global scheme. And he represents about a billion Catholics. Um, but they've also got rabbis and mullahs of mosques, and they've got Hindu um, uh, priests. So in the effort to transform society under UN's Agenda 2030, Religions for Peace and its official backers, who's backing them? The United Nations, the US State Department, American multi-billionaires like George Soros and the Rockefellers, they are openly supporting it. There might be others not supporting it so openly. Well, back in 2019, uh, the Religions for Peace brought together a thousand religious representatives in Germany in 2019 to promote the scheme of the 10th World Assembly. Um, participants agreed to an alliance of virtue. That, uh, you know, you don't need to worry about the base of what you believe about God or Jesus. Uh, it's just the virtues that really matter, so they say. So they're urging religious communities to invest their resources, you know, money from offering plates and so on, in achieving SDGs or um, uh, Sustainable Development Goals. They also called for the UN agenda to guide human development. We commit to human development as set forth in the Sustainable Development Goals. We need to advocate for government policies in line with the UN climate vision. And so the third leg, solidifying religious support, well, a key player seems to be not only Pope Francis, but also Rick Warren of Saddleback Church in California. Rick Warren's also a member of the Globalist Council on Foreign Relations. He seems to have a cozy relationship with the UN and globalism for many years. And uh, he has been trying to encourage delegates and world leaders to come together. So Warren's promoted this peace plan, P standing for promoting reconciliation, E, equipping servant leaders, A, assisting poor, C, caring for the sick, E, educating the next generation. And this involves every generation. Every uh, Christian must be involved in advancing the UN agenda. And so he says, we'll work with anyone who wants to help. I'll work with an atheist if he wants to stop AIDS, said this uh, Rick Warren. So there's all kinds of people pushing the UN agenda. And so they're literally saying their goal is to accelerate the United Nations agenda. Um, and we rec and they recognize that it's important to unify and weaponize the world's religions. And they're doing this um, through the green agenda, through the watermelon, the order watermelon, green on the outside, red on the inside. And so they're talking now about the need for a new Ten Commands and Sermon Amount, much like was provided by Mikhail Gorbachev, the Soviet dictator, in 1992, to provide a guide for human behavior towards the environmental sector next century and beyond. And so they did produce an Earth Charter and a new Ten Commands at that occasion, and apparently they're about to do that again. And a lot of what they're offering is counterfeit climate repentance ceremonies, where, where the people actually repent about and to the climate for what they have or haven't done, as the case may be. So, uh, I mean, that's interesting. Well, Sheila Zielinski wrote the book Green Gospel, The New World Religion, and she had that published in 2015. And uh, the author, Sheila Zielinski, said the eco-friendly death cult was deliberately hatched decades ago as the basis for a diabolical political agenda that has nothing at all to do with science or with the environment. Well said. And uh, she also said that going carbon neutral is literally economic suicide. She has called the uh, group that's calling for this 
green gospel of um, not using anything that can increase your carbon footprint. He called it, a, she called it a cult, anti-human, anti-family, anti-Christ. If they get the global climate regime, it'll usher in a new hell on earth. And especially in the Northern Hemisphere, and you need electricity and uh, means of keeping warm in the extreme cold in your winter as well. One does wonder where all that is going uh, at this time with all the insane things that have been done, like blowing up Nord Stream uh, 2 and so on. Well, under the guise of saving Mother Earth from humanity's climate sins, the Bible, the foundation of Western Christian civilization, is under complete and a serious attack. So what we're seeing here is exactly what the Bible warns us about, an attempt by fake faith leaders to... Uh, basically turn the church into delivery vehicles for the New World Order to promote the whole um, climate hysteria uh, where they believe that human activity is making a difference uh, in the, the whole global climate. And that really doesn't seem to appreciate uh, the huge nature of the earth and uh, God's promises in the scripture as well. Obviously, we believe in caring for the environment. We are conservationists. We, we care for the earth and we should be good stewards of it. But this has nothing to do with that. Uh, these climate alarmist hysteria characters from the UN, they are plainly seeking to launch a new religion. They have a new hell. <laughs> and they're promising climate hell uh, for anyone who doesn't follow this. They are, they've got their own Ten Commandments. They've got their own Bible. Uh, they've got their own, uh, even you could say, sacraments uh, that you have to do uh, in order to uh, save the planet uh, from the uh, climate change that they are warning that's coming along. But I think people need to know, you've got top religious leaders, Jewish, Muslim, so-called Christian, and even Hindu, working together to bring about an interfaith religion, a one-world interfaith religion, a one-world government, a one-world economic system. This should bother us. This is exactly what Revelation 13 is warning us about, and uh, that behind this new world order, new world interfaith religion and uh, uh, one world government is obviously the beast, Antichrist. And so as Christians, we should be very careful about anything that puts so much power in the hands of so few people. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Yes, that uh, that is uh, not surprising, but thank you for putting all that information together. It's, um, it's what's happening. And I've always said... Um, the, the 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 Bible, the Book of Revelation, and the other uh, prophecies are really, you know, the news of the day right now, and I believe that they're just yes. pushing and pushing and pushing, and it just goes to show how everything is corrupted. Uh, I can't mm. go to, um, I mean, the police are aware of my work, but rather than investigate how a group of people can print money out of nothing and charge the rest of the people interest on it. They're interested in what I say, okay? So rather than investigate true criminals, and if these criminals mm. have been investigated and the lid had been kept on them, or they'd been prevented from doing the crime in the first place, they wouldn't have got to the power that they've got to today. But unfortunately, so yes. many people are, are, are corruptible. And that's why, you know, in order to have churches involved in this, you've got to have corrupt people in them. And that's what yes. they've done. That's what they've been working at over time. And they start it off. They, 
oh, let, I wonder what the first meeting was with the UN. Let's invite some religious leaders over and let's say we're going to put you up in these expensive hotels and we're going to give you fine food and all this. And they think, oh, I, I quite quite like that actually and you know they get used to it and they think yeah i quite like going on a trip they're all paid for uh getting all these little luxuries and then they get more and more and they um realize that uh, that's more important to them than what was supposed to have uh, given them the calling to god in the first place and that is where we yes. are today it's through the corruption of people and unfortunately when you and i you know it's very upsetting for us because one statement that I always associate with you that's so important. And I always say, Dr. Peter Hammond says, God judges nations. And so it is upsetting for people who are trying to obey the laws of God, who are trying to be a good Christian, and yet their countries are suffering because the majority of the people in them aren't. But that is unfortunately where we are. So what is your advice to the people who really... They're doing the right thing, Peter, but they're being lumped in with the rest of them because God judges nations. How do people get through this difficult time? Yes, well, I mean, make no mistake. Uh, we are judged as nations on earth, but we are judged as individuals in eternity. So uh, Deuteronomy 28 spells out the blessings of obedience and the curse of disobedience for a nation. And it's, it's quite clear that there are economic blessings, there's blessings on on your herds and your crops and your children and your uh, household and economy and victory and battle and peace and so many uh, things are the blessings of obedience and rain and season and so on. And then and then Deuteronomy 28 starts from verse 15 describing the curse of disobedience. And honestly, it sounds like a lot of our newspapers today. You know, everything from uh, droughts, floods, famines, earthquakes, violence, oppression, uh, pestilence, uh, diseases, and uh, it's... Uh, and infertility and a whole range of things that is just um, horrific. And you can just see, just when you think it can't get worse, it does. Just through Deuteronomy 28, there are serious consequences for turning against God. Now, we have seen uh, Satan's people have tried through the ages to bring about a one-world government, one-world economic system, and one-world interfaith religion before, such as Nebuchadnezzar saying, of setting up this massive idol on the plains of Dura, and when the bands play, you will all bow down or you'll be thrown to the fiery furnace. And along comes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they say, we will not bow before this idol. And uh, they threatened, and when everyone else bows, uh, they stand upright. And so the king thunders that they will be thrown to the fiery furnace, and who can possibly deliver from his hand? And the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego needs to be our response to our God, whom we serve, is able to save us, and he will. But even if he doesn't save us, we still will not bow before your idols, nor will we serve your gods. And that has to be our response, because what we're seeing, we're being warned. And if a person thinks it's a small thing to just, well, go with the flow, and um, I'll, you know, don't want to make myself a target. Let me just do whatever the New World Order globalist crowd says. Well, the Bible makes it clear that there's incredible um, catastrophic results for those who actually uh, sell their souls. What will it profit a man if he gains a whole world but loses his own soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? And it's better for a person to be cast in the depths of the sea with a uh, millstone around his neck than to cause one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. So uh, we're warned also that those who choose to follow the beast, the Antichrist, the devil, 
uh, will suffer with him in the lake of fire for all eternity. And it's, it's a very serious thing to, to go along with these antichrist globalists. So we need to be like the Daniels who are willing to be thrown in the lion's den or Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego is willing to be thrown in the fiery furnace. And interestingly, the Lord didn't protect Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, but he protected them in the fiery furnace. Uh, they, they had to go into it, but they came out without so much as the smell of burning, and they were not harmed by the flames because God was with them. Literally, the Lord was with them in that. And we can see whether it's Noah building the ark to survive the flood. We need to obey God. We need to do what he has commanded. We cannot trust these treacherous, um, what do we call them, this billionaires club of Davos uh, that they call the World Economic Forum. We cannot trust these climate fanatic um, a cabal, these banksters, big pharma, big business, big government, all working for the Council of Foreign Relations, the Illuminati, the Sabbatans. Uh, this this is a satanic group. And, you know, if if you're horrified by what you've heard about what was going on in the name of Jeffrey Epstein and on his um, uh, Peter Island or uh, Harvey Weinstein and so on, well, uh, just understand that this entire group are satanic. They're antichrist and you can see it. They hate God, they hate Christ, they hate his people, and uh, they hate the word of God and the law of God, and they break every one of God's commands. We do not want to be anywhere near them. And just as when Korah was leading a rebellion against Moses, and uh, God told the people of Israel, move away from the tents of Korah. And uh, then he hit them with such an earthquake that they disappeared into the ground. And uh, you do not want to be standing near the abodes of the wicked when God judges. And, and one day God's patience will run out and God will deal with him. So I think first and foremost, let's fear God. Jesus said, do not fear man who can only destroy the body and after that he can do nothing else, but rather fear God. You can destroy both body and soul in hell forever. And so the first thing I would say is we need to fear God. We need to get back to the Bible. We need to be serious about resisting we need to have this Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego spirit of our God whom we serve is able to save us, and he will. But even if he doesn't, we still won't serve your gods. Greater is Jesus Christ who is in us than him who is in the world. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from us. So seeing this whole um, new religion they're trying to bring up, well, we're happy with the, the faith delivered to the saints once for all. We're going to contend for the faith. We're going to stand for Christ. Uh, we're going to um, not budge. Uh, we will not bend. We will not bow uh, or serve uh, these idols that the New World Order sets up. And so anything we can do to be uh, more self-sufficient, we must disengage, switch off from the brainwashing, <laughs> what do we call it, the disinformation uh, uh, industry. Uh, we're not interested in what they call their news agencies because they lie. We're not going to allow ourselves to be defiled and distracted by Hollywood's uh, blasphemous industry. Uh, we will support real entertainment that folks on the excellent and the true, um, not on their fake frauds and uh, vile, immoral, blasphemous nonsense. Uh, similarly, we need to disengage as much as po possible from a big pharma, big business, a big government um, and uh, the, uh, the banksters, the big banks, uh, because let's face it, they they have nothing but your destruction uh, as their goal. This means getting as self-sufficient as you can, um, make sure you're part of a Bible-believing, God-fearing church, make sure that if you can't do that, get a Bible study and prayer fellowship going in your home, either join a good Bible study or, or start one, and 
um, home education, uh, private Christian education, tutors, anything is better than the government indoctrination gulags. So there's a lot of things that I think we've got to aim at. But the big thing is looking at what's just taken place from November the 6th to the 20th of November uh, in Egypt and Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt, uh, this uh, United Nations 27th Conference of Parties or COP27 um, uh, should remind us that what the Bible warned us about thousands of years ago is true. <laughs> they really are followers of the beast who is Antichrist and who worship Satan, who want a one world government, a one world economic system, and a one world interfaith religion. And that should concern us because the Bible warned us about it and also warned us not to take the mark of the beast, not to compromise, not to cooperate. There'll be terrible consequences for any who are foolish enough to follow this world, which is in rebellion to God. They can't win. They cannot beat the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Conqueror, the Creator, the Eternal Judge. And so uh, let's make sure we stay on the winning side. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And um, you talk about getting, uh, you know, a, a proper Bible-believing church. And I think that that's the problem that most people around the world have. You know, I couldn't tell you of any local church that I would trust because they're all bought into this system. They'll all promote the immorality that, uh, you know... It, we know what they promote. Uh, we talk, You talked mm, today about mm. all the leaders, you know. The head of the Church of England was there. The head of the Catholic Church is there. All these denominations are there, yes. and it cascades down from them. So my question to you, obviously you have Frontline Fellowship, which is frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa.org. The link to that will be in the post for this show. Can people become a part of your church if, say, they were living in America or if they were living in the UK? Is there a way that they could practice their faith online with Frontline Fellowship? Yes. So what we've launched is livingstonfellowship.co.za. So livingstonfellowship.co.za is specifically a faith community. And uh, whereas Frontline Fellowship's a mission, particularly focused on serving the persecuted church, and of course you'll find a lot of inspiring things on the Frontline website, videos, audios, PowerPoints, links, articles. But livingstonfellowship.co.za is specifically uh, Bible studies and sermons. There's lots of sermon audios. I've got over a thousand sermons, Bible studies and sermons and, and lectures uh, on sermon audio, which is directly aimed at building a person's spiritual life. Uh, in On livingstonfellowship.co.today, you'll find articles, Bible studies, audios and some videos and uh, links to all sorts of things that'll be useful, including some, some very helpful discipleship training manuals there's over 70 different evangelistic tracts and, and leaflets that you could either print on or share electronically. And what we go through is, for example, the Ten Commands, one sermon on each of the Ten Commands, and then the Bible survey, uh, one sermon on each of the uh, 66 books in the Bible. And uh, the Bible survey, which has also been published now as an Old Testament survey and New Testament survey, which we've just reprinted to and now made available as ebooks and print on demands. And so um, you will find a lot of great resources completely free on livingstonfellowship.co.za that will help you if you are starting a home fellowship. So if you are alone and you feel like there's no other believers around, well, you can uh, find both on our website and on our Facebook page, Livingston Fellowship you'll find a whole lot of things that will help you and network you with others who are like-minded. 
Now, if you if you let us know where you are, we could see if there's others in your area that we can put you in touch with. For example, there's some people who've joined our mission here in Cape Town because they heard me speaking on your program, ACH, and they, they lived in Cape Town and said, oh, well, and then they contact next thing, they're involved in Livingston Fellowship and um, in fact, one of them is now working full-time here as one of our designers as well and uh, uh, joining in with the Reformation Society meetings and camps and courses that we organize. So that's nice. And when I've gone up to the Transvaal uh, to Pretoria doing seminars and conferences, I've had uh, people coming and joining me saying, we heard you on Andrew Carrington Hitchcock. And so they joined in uh, with what we're doing then. We've been able to put them in touch with other believers who are like-minded, who red-pilled, who don't <laughs> follow all the lies of, of the media and so on. And uh, so they found like-minded people and are now engaged in good fellowship up there. So if you contact us, if you, people write to me at peter.frontline.org.za and say, you know, I'm living in um, whatever particular town or, or village it is, and then I'll look and see who do we know in that area. And sometimes there might be others who might want to join you for Bible study, or you might find there is even a congregation in the area within reasonable reach of travel that you can link up with. So uh, that's one thing we've done. We actually started Livingston Fellowship uh, years ago online uh, for people who were traveling in countries that had blocked the frontline website. So a lot of South Africans, because they're too male and too pale, can't get a job in South Africa with affirmative action race-based laws. And so many work in the Middle East, for example, either security advisors or teaching English second language. We've got some friends even uh, uh, working as tent missionaries, you could say, in in um, uh, China, uh, Red China. And uh, uh, they uh, found that they couldn't access our website. Uh, so we started a new website, which wasn't as controversial, livingstonfellowship.co.za, where we just put sermons and Bible studies, not specifically uh, things exposing the New World Order or fighting against um, uh, Islam and jihad and persecution, as we do on the Frontline website. So people who've been in Amman and Yemen and uh, um, Kuwait and so on have said, oh, gee, you know, we, we couldn't access the Frontline website when it was blocked. Uh, but uh, they've been able to access our Frontline, uh, our, our Livingston Fellowship, I should say, websites and so on. So um, that's part of the, the reason we set it up. And Livingston Fellowship has uh, been a, a blessing. I've heard of many people who are using Livingston Fellowship audio sermons or even videos and PowerPoints uh, to gather together for their home cell, Bible study cell. They go through a different book of the Bible or different sermons, and then they discuss it and pray over it um, as, as a community. And many of them house churches. Some of them actually um, are church plants. And I know of, of several around the world so, yes, that is an option, livingstonfellowship.co.za. And then if people want to get formally networked, we've got a Christian Action Network, which at the moment has 7,000 congregations and over 7 million Christians in 20 countries in Africa networked. Now, these are churches that are now constituted, uh, networked in our, um, our Christian Action Network, and we have regular e-updates to them and try to... Uh, network as best we can, but these are people in places remote as the Congo, Nigeria, and, and so on. So, um, yes, there's definitely uh, an alternative. I think starting a Bible study group or joining a Bible study group is the best thing we can do, and uh, you don't need a lot of people, just two is enough to start it with. And if you're on your own, well, you can still 
uh, get some of our Bible study and prayer fellowship resources, and maybe we can put you in touch with others who are not too far away. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. That's really encouraging. And uh, uh, folks, we've been including these links in the post for all our shows as long as we can remember, livingstonfellowship.co.za and uh, christianaction.org.za or ZA. Um, just have a quick look at Livingston Fellowship. Uh, as Peter said, there's uh, all these different sermons come up straight away on the fir- front page. The first one I recognise, The Challenge of Missions, because I read, that's one of Peter's presentations I read on the traditional Christian message on, on uh, one of the Sundays. Uh, then you've got Who Killed Jesus, and you've got an article. Uh, and then beneath each one, you've got a, a play button with sermon audio. So you've got the sermons already there. And then you've got links down the side. You've got the Facebook button that Peter mentioned. Uh, and also Christian Action featured articles, Halloween and the Bible at the top. Uh, the Christian Liberation of Women, Resisting Legalised Abortion in South Africa. A modern equivalent of child sacrifice. So this is on the christianaction.org.za website. And I wanted to um, Peter to touch base on this because I know many of you feel isolated and you can't go to a local church, what have you. Peter's email address has been in all our show posts for the last few months. It is peter at frontline.org.za, peter at frontline.org.za. Uh, and that will remain the case. So you've got the uh, resources there, Livingston Fellowship for the sermons, what have you, Christian Action. You can also go on the Facebook page. You can see if there's anyone in your area. You can email Peter directly, see if there's anyone uh, in your area, as he said. So please avail yourself of this if you are feeling lonely and you want to practice your faith alongside other Christians rather than on your own. Uh, we're over time, Peter, but if you've got a few minutes, would you like to tell us uh, how busy you've been these last um, three weeks? Well, yes. In fact, uh, we've been running an intensive three-week Great Commission course, and it started with a one-week Biblical Worldview Summit. We had a whole bunch of guests from America. We had some coming from the Transvaal and Orange Free State, even from uh, KwaZulu-Natal. And in the first week, uh, the Great Commission uh, Biblical Worldview Summit, we even had someone from Zimbabwe. And... Uh, this has been intensive, PT every morning at 6.30 a.m., uh, lectures, devotions in the mornings, and practicals and workshops in the afternoons, outreaches frequently, sports activities, uh, evenings, hikes and practicals, including night hikes, Bible smuggling drills, operating in a forest and pitch dark through rivers and crawling through tunnels and all sorts of things. And basically um, getting people out of their comfort zone. And uh, I've, I've been involved in the whole thing uh, right up to climbing up and over Table Mountain as, as the high point of our um, a, a course. And, of course, all, always with backpacks of Arabic scriptures. Uh, it's with serious weight training. And we've had guest speakers, a whole range of guest speakers and materials. It's been a very good intensive time. And I must say, uh, we're all fitter, stronger. We've got a few more bruises and, and blisters as a result, too. Work parties at mission stations, visiting historic sites, uh, such as the oldest mission station, Southern Hemisphere, Hanardendal, which uh, came from the Moravians back in the 1700s. So we've we've really been involved in, in a lot of activities and outreaches, reaching Muslims and Jews and Hindus and atheists on the streets and door-to-door and literature distribution and interesting conversations and praying on the streets with people. So it's been, um, we do this at least once a year, and uh, the Great Commission course is one of our 
most intensive, demanding, and people really feel it and a great sense of accomplishment. Not everyone who starts these courses ends them either. I'd say we do have people giving up as it goes along, but but most have persevered and were so delighted. We still got people uh, who in good contact from Great Commission course years ago, people who met their life partner, who married as a result. We've got people who've gone, come back, who've been to last year's and the one before, and some people have done four Great Commission courses in a row. And, uh, well, my daughter been doing it as long as she's been alive. And uh, uh, I must say, uh, it's it's a wonderful experience. And uh, even though I just celebrated my 63rd birthday uh, while doing a work party at um, at Quasabunta Mission up the road, um, literally with pick and shovel, uh, digging holes and doing roadworks and filling in potholes. and uh, Because missions is also practical. And um, even though I'm 63, I'm still managing to keep up with the youngsters and sometimes beat them um, uh, on hikes. And uh, we had paintballing uh, thing also uh, where <laughs> uh, the, um, the South African team wiped out the American team in 90 seconds and uh, without a single casualty on our side. And uh, in fact, after hours of this and hundreds of paintballs being thrown all over the place, I had only one hit. Um, I had one bruise on me and I'd given a lot more bruises out. So in that case, it's definitely more blessed to give than to receive. Back to Andrew. (laughs) Excellent, Peter. And uh, folks, that Great Commission course will be running again. And uh, we will let you know on here when it does. And uh, so... Uh, please, again, there's all sorts of things that Peter does in his ver- variety of ways of serving God. And uh, we are delighted that one of them is to continue to come on and share his knowledge with us every week. So that being said, I want to thank Peter so much for joining us for today's presentation, The Real Story of the UNCOP27 Global Religion. I want to thank all of you for listening. Peter and I will be back with you at the same time next week. I'll, of course, be back with you tomorrow. And until then, folks, have a wonderful day and bye for now.